talking about ethanol, specifically the ethanol fuel standard, the RFS, also known as the ethanol mandate. The reason we're talking about this specifically this week is the Iowa caucuses. Ethanol has become an issue in the Iowa caucuses. Now, it's usually assumed that you must support ethanol to win in Iowa. But this year, we're seeing some different dynamics. And that's what caused me to write my column this week on that topic. My column this week is, Ted and Trump take different tracks on ethanol. And one of the sources that I used in, in my column and, and cited is my good friend John, John Fund from the National Review. And John wrote a piece about Ted Cruz's ethanol position that I quoted, and he also talked about Hillary Clinton's position. So, John, I'm just so pleased that you joined us. It's been a really long time since you've been with me on America's Voice for Energy. Well, it's a pleasure, Marita. And... We now have an opportunity to, shall we say, blend ethanol with current politics, and it's a combustible mixture, which is a lot of fun to talk about. <laughs> yes, it is definitely that. You know, I think that had Ted Cruz not held to his position of being against the ethanol mandate, ethanol would be a non-issue in this year's election cycle. Well, to be fair, Rand Paul, who's also running in Iowa, is also against the ethanol. Oh, mandate. that's right. He is but, running. But he has faded. He has faded. And he was not the one who actually showed up at the convention of all the ethanol producers last May and told them to their face, you know, I don't believe that we should pick winners and losers in energy, and I'm going to stick by my position. I think you can do fine. In fact, I think there's some regulations restricting the use of ethanol that were put out by the EPA that we should lift. But we should have a level playing field, but it should be run without subsidies rather than people who are permanently dependent on subsidies. Yeah, you know, that permanent dependence on subsidies is something that uh, really gets in the craw of those of us who support free market and limited government principles. Well, also, remember, ethanol is both an energy issue and it's a political issue and it's frankly a corporate welfare issue. And Iowa has lots of businesses that have nothing to do with ethanol, but it seems that everybody in the state is expected to dance to the tune of the ethanol producers. Well, as I wrote in my column, um, Ted Cruz has brought some of the most important innovators in ethanol with him on his campaign bus, and what they have told crowds is, look, this is an opportunity for us. We can't pretend that these subsidies are going to go on forever. We have to transition out of them, and this is the way to do it, because if we also lift regulations on ethanol at the same time, we can have a new basis for it. And look, ethanol is going to have to change. Look at the price of oil, which has now fallen below $30 a barrel. In the current environment, I'm not saying how long it's going to last, you know, ethanol makes a whole lot less sense because America's energy dependence on foreign producers is now dramatically changed, both because of shale, both because of the price of oil, both because of uh, fracking. And it, for the next bit that we can foresee, America's going to be exporting oil. In fact, we finally, uh, in the latest budget agreement, signed with President Obama a law that says America can now finally export its fossil fuels. 
Yeah, and as far as I know, I believe we've now had three tankers uh, full of American crude heading off uh, to Europe, not to where it, its opponent said it was going. But that's a different subject for a different day, one I'm well, extremely well. Well, except that it's helpful because it helps reduce Russia's energy, uh, the, uh, uh, Europe's energy dependence on Russia, which is a good thing. Right, and that's one of the things that I've been uh, fighting for for the, the last year, but I've also been fighting for uh, the repeal of this renewable uh, fuel standard, the RFS. But, you know, as you said in, in your column, John, um, and, and tell our listeners where they can, can read your column, but in your column you point out that I quoted in my column that every candidate, every, every candidate that has won a caucus in Iowa since the mandate was was became law in 2005 regardless of party every caucus winner since 2005 in Iowa has supported this ethanol mandate so so uh, Cruz has taken a really risky step here except it may not be as risky as people think um, the polling which I think you've seen that's just out shows that support for the ethanol mandate is not a top priority for 95% of Iowa's voters. They care a lot more about the economy, about terrorism, about, you know, declining standards in the country, uh, jobs, education. So ethanol isn't a single-issue um, knee-jerk response from more than a handful of voters. Now, having said that, there are a whole lot of there's a whole lot of clout the ethanol producers have because they make campaign contributions and they have influence. The governor of Iowa traditionally is supposed to stay out of the caucuses and not endorse anyone, but he has come out strongly against Ted Cruz, saying he'd be bad for ethanol and I don't want him to win. He hasn't endorsed the candidate, but he's come out against the candidate. But I wonder if Branstad, the governor there, is really in touch with his people because the Des Moines Register poll that came out in mid-January found that. 37% of people agreed with Ted Cruz's position, ethanol mandate should go away. 42% disagreed, the rest were undecided. So given the margin of error, that's basically a wash, an even split. Yeah, and yeah, it was very that, surprising. And, you know, remember, there's 12 candidates in the Iowa caucuses. Ted Cruz is not trying to get 50% of them. Ted Cruz is trying to get a plurality more than any other candidate. And I think there's some voters in Iowa, and I've interviewed them, who are proud of the fact that someone is coming to them and telling them some hard truths, that, you know, they, ethanol should not be subsidized, oil should not be subsidized, natural gas shouldn't be subsidized, solar shouldn't be subsidized. In other words, we need to have not only an all-of-the-above strategy on energy, but all non-subsidy strategy on energy. Well, I certainly agree with that, uh, the taking away any of the subsidies for, for energy. But, you know, ethanol at this point, I don't believe the tax credits were taken away, what, in 2011, but they actually have something better than a subsidy, really. I mean, it equals a subsidy, but that is the mandate, a law that says that ever-increasing amounts of ethanol must be blended into America's fuel supply. And again... We have a very controversial uh, fuel. This is a fuel that can damage engines. Uh, it takes up 40% of the corn production of Iowa. It raises food prices. It frankly raises food prices in Mexico, where the price of tortillas has gone up dramatically because they can't buy corn as cheaply as before during a, a bad crop season. And the last thing we need in Mexico is, shall we say, rising food prices leading to economic instability, which leads to people crossing the border. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you can definitely make that connection there. 
So, John Fun, you are a political commentator. I am not. I do energy, although on this week's column I have dabbled into politics more than I usually do. Um, you follow this very closely. What do you think is going to happen in Iowa? Well, it's all about turnout, turnout, turnout. Just as they always say in real estate, it's about location, location, location. Uh, a caucus is a very unusual system of electing a presidential nominee. Most states use a primary. A caucus is like a two-hour board meeting of your nonprofit organization, Marita, where you have to show up at a certain time before the meeting. The meeting starts exactly at a certain time. It lasts between two and three hours. You have to sleep throughout the entire process. You can't, you know, phone into the meeting. You can't come earlier in the day. You can't send an absentee ballot or a proxy ballot. And that's why turnout in the caucus is so much lower than a primary. It's an appointment. It's not a day of voting. And in Iowa, traditionally, the highest turnout in the caucus would get is probably about 17% of registered voters. Now, a whole lot more than that are telling pollsters, well, we're going to be there. In fact, a third of the people who are polled in the Republican primary a caucus electorate say, you know, I'm coming, but it'll be my first caucus. Well, the big, the big question in Iowa is going to be, are all those people going to turn out at 7 o'clock on a Monday night? There's a 60% chance of snow, according to the latest weather forecast. Stay Which, obviously, you're night. watching closely. Uh, I've become a meteorologist as well as a political commentator. <laughs> John, your voice is a little bit muffled. If you can adjust your phone for me a bit. Sure. So, so the bottom line is, yeah, that's not better, everybody thanks. who says they're going to come to a caucus is going to come to a caucus. And if Donald Trump can bring a lot of new people to a caucus, he's much likelier to win. And, of course, as you know, he has not only supported the ethanol mandate, he wants to expand and increase it. So uh, it's very important, I think, for the energy debate in this country who wins between Trump and Cruz because they're so diametrically opposed on the issue. And then the question becomes, turnout is based on a ground game. Uh, do you, how, how do you identify your supporters? Do you keep constant contact with them? Do you make sure they know exactly where their caucus location is? Because there are a lot fewer caucus locations than there are polling places for a normal election. Uh, do you try to make sure they're a registered voter? Because you have to be a registered voter to be in a caucus. Uh, we, do, you real, do you have to tell them? You will show up between 545 and 645. You can't get there later than 645. At 7 o'clock, you have to be seated. At 7 o'clock, the meeting starts. You have to give people all this information. You have to provide carpools and directions if they need them. You have to give them rides if you, if in, a, in a van if they need that. And the question is, we know Ted Cruz, and to some extent Marco Rubio, has that kind of infrastructure. The big unknown is, does Donald Trump, is Donald Trump building that kind of infrastructure to get people to the caucuses? Because uh, there are no numbers from Trump. He doesn't tell us how many precinct captains he has. He doesn't tell us how many phone calls he's made to voters. He doesn't tell us how many vans he's rented to give voters rides. We don't know that. And that's why this election, which the latest Quinnipiac poll that's out this morning, has Trump 31, Cruz 29, way too close to call at this point. So, yeah, but, all right, so let's not go with the big picture. Let's just stick with ethanol. Do you think that ethanol is going to hurt um, Ted Cruz, his stand on ethanol? I think it will hurt him with some voters, for whom it's a single issue, but as we've already discussed, very few people view it as a top priority, more important than any other issue they vote on. 
And I think there's some voters who will admire Cruz for having the courage to come into Iowa and being the first candidate in a long, long time to say, I'm going to tell you some hard truths, which is I'm here speaking for the national interest, not for the Iowa interest. And it isn't even the Iowa interest. It's the interest of the ethanol producers in Iowa, and they should not be dictating um, the policy positions of every candidate on this issue in the first in the nation vote. Yeah, and those uh, those supporters of ethanol are not the uh, little mom and pop farmers that we tend to picture. They're Archer Daniel Midlands. They're they're big farm. They are big farm, and they're often big liberal farm. And Archer Daniel's Midland, under Dwayne Andreas, the, the late chairman of that company, was one of the biggest supporters of liberal causes and liberal candidates. Well, of course, they support the liberal causes, tend to support ethanol. So, you know, as they say, follow the money. Moo. <laughs> I assume you'll be there Monday night. You'll be in Iowa. Unfortunately, I'm crashing on a book project, so I'm going to have to monitor it from afar. But I've been to Iowa recently, and it's very exciting. Um, it's become uh, an all-consuming sport there, but people also take it very seriously. And 40% of the people who are polled right now, Marita, say they could change their minds between now and Monday night when the caucus meets. So everything is up in the air. Well, we'll certainly be watching. Tell, tell my audience, please, where they can get your article on Ted Cruz and his ethanol stand. Sure. Uh, NationalReview.com, and just search for Cruz and ethanol, and the article should come right up, and uh, there will be other things at National Review uh, that you can find that are of great interest. We've been in the news recently because we yeah. wrote an entire issue to Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, just a, just a little bit in the news lately. John Fun, thanks for joining me. I know how when you're crashing on a book, you got to stay focused on that, so I appreciate you taking time out to talk with me today on America's Voice for Energy. Thanks. We'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's Webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, your host, and each week I have the opportunity to bring you a variety of experts surrounding the topic of the column that I write each week. This week, as we were talking about with John Fund, due to the kind of I call it the ethanol tussle between Ted Trump and Terry, meaning Terry Branstead, Governor Terry Branstead of Iowa, ethanol's kind of been in the news, and specifically uh, the ethanol mandate, the renewable fuel standard. And Ted Cruz thinks that that ethanol mandate should go away. Well, Donald Trump has literally doubled down on it, um, as some are saying it shows how much he wants to win in Iowa. But one of the things I talked about in my column this week is that even if the mandate goes away and poor ethanol is forced to function in the free market, that, that there's still a need for ethanol, that ethanol will still be used. And so I'm delighted to have back with me one of my regular guests here on America's Voice for Energy, my friend Tim Snyder, who I think of as my go-to guy on ethanol. And uh, Tim has helped me really understand this free market need for ethanol. So, Tim, thanks for joining me again. Well, thank you, Marita. I appreciate you asking me to be on again. Well, you always have such good insight, and particularly in ethanol. Before we get started on that, for our listeners, could you give them some uh, background on you specifically as it relates to ethanol? Why do you know so much about ethanol? Well, first and foremost, um, back at the, <laughs> it sounds terrible. It's kind of weird to say it this way, but back at the turn of the century, ninety-nine <laughs> and two thousand, I was the and up until uh, two thousand and five, I was the marketing director for a commodity group that uh, represented a uh, a starch source, which is grain sorghum, that can be used interchangeably with corn to make ethanol. Uh, the ethanol industry was was uh, growing rapidly in the early 2000s, and the entire time during uh, pre- President George W. Bush's administration, um, there was a there was just uh, tremendous amounts of investment going on. Uh, the infrastructure was uh, for for producing ethanol was being built, and it was uh, it was actually um, very much like the. Uh, uh, the the you know the, the Permian Basin the, the Bakken shale the Marcellus shale the shale boom that we had everybody was investing their money in renewable fuels primarily ethanol and I got involved in that at the end of my tenure as a marketing director with the National Commodity Organization I left and formed my own company and I built several ethanol plants uh, myself I helped uh, uh, establish a company that's uh, produces ethanol in uh, the panhandle of Texas, uh, the South Plains, and, of course, uh, in uh, in Kansas as well. I've, I've worked with plants in Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, yada, yada, yada. So, well, it's clear why you're my go-to guy on ethanol. Yeah. It, it's, I've got a little bit of experience there. So so help us understand. You... you um were a big proponent of ethanol. You were building ethanol plants. You were in charge of projects. And uh, where do you stand on the topic now? Well, and, and I'm going to tell you, I think it's, I think it's, it's interesting. I, I completely uh, agree with Ted Cruz's side of this, uh, this argument, and I'm going to tell you why. When we, were, when we were booming in ethanol, there was no mandate. 
Um, we went through RFS 1 and RFS 2, which is the Renewable Fuel Standard 1 and 2. And, you know, we were looking at ways to, you know, help incentivize the marketplace to use ethanol. And when ethanol was coming on, the most important issue we had at the time was to replace MTBE, which was the oxygenate we used in gasoline for probably 25 or 30 years. Now, for our listeners that don't understand that, what does what is an oxygenate? Oxygenate. Okay. What's that mean? Uh, the oxygenate is used to boost the octanes in gasoline. Okay, and uh, we used to have lead in the gasoline. Now we have. Then we went to the unleaded gasolines, and then we started using uh, MTBE, and then we replaced MTBE because it's an ether and it can destroy water. A teaspoon of of MTBE can can destroy two million gallons of water. And so, you know, the the industry needed a, a replacement for MTBE in the first place. The problem that that we're developed now is it's all it always happens this way. It's one of those well. If a, if a 10 million gallon plant is, is okay, then a 20 million will be better. If a 20 is okay, then a 40 is better. It went on and on and on. Now we're starting to do that, or we, we started doing this about five years ago in the uh, amount of ethanol that we blend in our gasoline because at the time when we replaced NTBE, it was about a 6.3% blend of the gasoline to, to replace the MTBE. Well, we boosted that to 10%, and everybody functioned pretty well at the 10% blend. Uh, now the, the ethanol producers, you know, wanted to see a 15% blend. Um, there's been some discussion of E30. We have E85. Um, the problem is is the infrastructure stopped growing that could accept the higher oxygen levels of fuels with uh, ethanol, and we were destroying small engines in riding lawnmowers and push lawnmowers and and um, chainsaws and and battery power or gasoline powered small two cycle engines. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I just I have to chime in here on my Facebook page when I mentioned that this is what I was writing on this week. Someone uh, who is in the lawn care business chimed in about and don't forget that it ruins and he listed you know what it ruins because he's in the lawn care business and so uh, those things really make a big difference yeah it does and i'll give you a perfectly good example i went and had my uh, weed eater fixed it's a small little half horsepower tiny little horsepower uh, weed eater cost me $79 to get my weed eater fixed and it was all because of ethanol now yeah you could have probably bought a new one cheaper um, I could have bought a new one for about $10 more expensive. And, you know, the issue is I had it in the shop. I thought, well, I, you know, I'm not going to go yeah. buy new, you know, yard, for, yard implements every two years. But that's a big part of the problem. What we've done, uh, unfortunately, is the facts have gotten way out of hand. Um, you know, the, I, would, I would appreciate if the, uh, if the industry would, would step in and not only fix the the, uh, uh, the ethanol uh, opponents, but fix the ethanol proponents. Um, you know because the the facts are just not out in the marketplace. I will tell you that the the other issue is is that the the fueling companies, the gasoline companies, when we started having a regular and a rateable, and when I say rateable, it means on a regular basis um, and a high quality and high quantity volume. Um, when we started getting rateable ethanol that we could use with the gasolines that we were getting out of the pipeline, 
what we were able to do is we could change to, to lower octane fuels in the pipe and make for better blending economics. And that's really and truthfully the reason why ethanol had such a great toehold and we started losing the premium blends of gasoline because it was a whole lot cheaper to use ethanol as a blend stock with the RBOB or the CBOB, whatever we're looking at, probably the RBOB. Um, and it was a whole lot cheaper to use that to blend for the higher octane because there's, there's vehicles out like um, a Lexus or a Mercedes or, or a, a high-performance high SUV that needs a higher octane fuel. Right. So you can do that with ethanol because ethanol, ethanol by itself is 114 octane. So that's a very high octane fuel. And so you can blend that well and make the premium gasolines, and it's cheaper for the pipeline companies and those companies that are, that are marketing gasoline on the pipe. So this the ethanol is blended in at the uh, near the gas station, correct? Yes, ma'am. Uh, what it's it's blended in the in the ground in the uh, tank in the ground. Okay. All right. So now, someone on one of my columns, I believe, you know, it's my columns posted a bunch of places, and people write comments. And someone on one of those places said that if the mandate went away that the oil and gas people, basically, the greedy oil and gas people, would replace it with something of their own. But you don't think that's, you think ethanol will still be used? Oh, I know it would still be used. And I'll tell you that the reason, and you have to understand this, MTBE was a byproduct of the refining process, okay? It okay. was owned by the refineries. MTBE was produced by the refineries. There was a couple, Valero, um, at the time it was Diamond Shamrock, but Diamond Shamrock and Lion Bell, uh, were two of the largest producers of MTBE, and that was from their just from their own stock. I mean, that that came from their own refineries. The problem was so. Well, so when this when this person on this, my my page writes, they'll replace it with something of their own. They sort of are are well founded in saying that. Um, what they're what they're what they're saying is probably incorrect. Because if the oil companies could have done it, they'd have done it a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, ethanol is a great additive. Ethanol is not, and I've said this several times, you've heard me say it before, it is not fungible with gasoline, whereas wind energy and solar are fungible with coal and um, maybe heating oil. Um, gasoline and ethanol are now, ethanol is not fungible with gasoline because it doesn't give you the same product. You don't get the same performance out of it. You can't be readily exchanged. So, um, you, you just can't do that. And, and I'm telling you, if the, if the, if the refinery companies, the, the gasoline pipeline type companies, um, had the ability uh, or had a product that they could replace it with on a large enough scale to be able to put it in the gasoline and put it in the pipeline, we would have been down the road with this very, a very long time ago. It just doesn't exist. So, we just have a minute and a half or so left. If we were to eliminate the mandate, as Ted Cruz would like to do, um, what would happen to the ethanol industry? Nothing. <laughs> I'll bet for a quick answer. Not a yeah, well, we have more time than that, Tim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have an ethanol mandate when we were exploding the production of ethanol. We went from, uh, we went from producing about nine... 
Oh, I'm going to say about 900 million gallons to to about 9 billion gallons of uh, ethanol. We produce a significant amount of ethanol uh, in the United States, and and uh, we're 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 doing just it's doing just fine. It, it it expanded and it developed during a time when there was not a mandate. It needs to be left as an as an oxygenate and as an additive, not as a primary product. And the industry would continue on fine with that. Sure, I mean. That, so if you were able, if you were able to have um, Eric uh, oh, Branstead in for, in your in your office, what would you tell him? Um, remind me who Eric Branstead is. He is the head. Of, he ha- is the head of American Renewable Future. He's Governor Branstead's son, and he heads up the ethanol lobbying group. You know, you have to understand, and you just said the operative word, lobbying group, okay? The uh, ethanol lobby is is sponsored heavily by the corn growers. The corn growers went for a long time um, um, raising corn for animal feed and for human consumption, two different uh, types of corn, by the way. Right, right. It was, uh, you know, I would tell we you. we got about 30 the, seconds left. Yeah, I know. Just to, just to tie this up, Morita, um, I would tell him, you know, uh, let's let's be responsible with this. Let's make a let's make the oil industry a good partner, like they were when I was developing ethanol plants. And you'll go a whole lot farther, and you'll last a lot longer. You won't make an enemy out of the oil companies like we have right now. Good way to tie it up, Tim Snyder. Thanks for joining us today once again on America's Voice for Energy. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Today we're talking about the ethanol mandate, the Renewable Fuel Standard, or the RFS. And we're talking about it because it's become a news item this week when Governor Terry Branstead of Iowa, a long-term governor, in fact, the, the longest sitting governor in history uh, in America, came out and, and really surprised people this week because historically he has not taken a position in the Iowa caucuses. He's not endorsed anyone. But this week he broke with tradition, and he didn't endorse someone. Instead, he denounced someone when he came out and said that Iowa caucus goers should not support, should not vote for Ted Cruz. Now, this, this made news, of course. And in doing so, Ted uh, has earned the ire of the renewable fuel uh, group in Iowa. And they're hoping that Ted's stance against ethanol, as we've talked about. Now realize he's not against ethanol. He's against the government mandate and the subsidies that prop up ethanol. And the, the, um, the Governor Branstead and his son Eric, who, who runs the ethanol lobbying group in Iowa, are hoping that attacking Ted Cruz over ethanol will cost Ted the election in Iowa. However... There's some new polling out that shows that it may have no effect whatsoever because the ethanol issue is not as strong in Iowa as it once was. So joining us once again today on America's Voice for Energy is David Banks, and he's the Executive Vice President for the American Council Capital Formation, and they've done this polling to determine how important is ethanol to today's Iowa voter. David, thanks for joining me once again on America's Voice for Energy. Uh, thanks, Marie. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. So you've, you've done some new polling that was released on Friday, January 22nd. Um, and, and what is this polling to start with? Well, who'd you poll and why? Yeah, before I get, yeah, so before I get into results, yeah, let me talk a little bit about the poll. You know, we were very interested in, I guess, some of the information and some of the comments that have come out of the different universities in Iowa uh, that indicated that, look, uh, maybe ethanol subsidies are no longer the third rail of Iowa politics. And so we decided to do the polling uh, to confirm uh, what we think is, is obvious. That, and as you point out, that corn ethanol isn't the issue uh, that it used to be in, in Iowa politics. Uh, so we ran the poll between January 11th and 17th, targeting 700 registered Iowa voters over the age of 18, uh, asked them what issues were most important to them, and we were very careful to reflect the geographic and demographic makeup of the Iowa electorate. So this, was, this poll was divided evenly between cell phone and land use uh, or landline with a margin of error, a plus or minus 3.7 percentage points. And these respondents were contacted randomly from an Iowa file of regularly updated likely caucus and general election voter records. So getting into the results, we asked voters about the top ten issues that matter when deciding on which candidate to support, 
and ethanol came in dead last. Uh, And this is no surprise to the Iowa voters, I'm sure. Uh, Voters were much more interested in hearing from presidential candidates on issues like immigration, ISIS, job creation, the debt, welfare, Obamacare, gun control, race relations, even climate change, right? Federal ethanol mandates came in at 39%, a distant, distant last. Wow. You know, and that's, uh, you know, as I wrote in my column this week, Ted, or uh, excuse me, Donald Trump has really um, catered to the ethanol industry, which uh, Atlantic Monthly Magazine said shows how badly he wants to win in Iowa. True. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, because when we asked, when we asked Iowans what, what they would prefer presidential candidates spend more time talking about, um, I mean, it was, it was clear that they preferred the big issues like immigration and ISIS. And actually, almost 60% of them said that they didn't want candidates to spend a lot of time talking about the mandates. Only 39% of them actually said that they wanted to hear more. And, and, and that, that a, they wanted to hear more about ethanol and the mandates. Yeah, only 39%. Okay. And, and I'm sure shocking to some, but again, uh, I guarantee you not if you were to ask the average Iowa voter. I mean, half of the respondents said they didn't even care that much or didn't care at all about the corn ethanol mandates. And, you know, what what kind of response are you getting as this poll has gotten some, uh, or have you gotten good press coverage on it so people are, people are aware of this? You know, we've gotten some good press coverage, I mean, as you can expect. Uh, we've gotten, uh, you know, a fair amount of criticism from the ethanol lobby. It's, no, it's, no, say it as itself. <laughs> but it's been interesting, uh, simply because you know you will have will have critics say, well, you know, you can't you can't pay attention to, you know, what this group has said, what the American Council of Capital Formation is saying. But then they plug other points that we make, right? Um, because we don't say, and we certainly didn't conclude that. Iowa voters don't care anything at all about ethanol, right? Our point was when they're deciding on a political candidate, this is simply not an important issue for them in their consideration. And as you said, it's always been considered that um, you had to support ethanol to win in Iowa. In fact, as John Fund pointed out in a a piece that he wrote uh, that I quoted, that since the ethanol mandate, the renewable fuel standard, since that was enacted in 20, 2005, every single caucus winner from either party has supported ethanol, has come out in favor of the ethanol mandate and or subsidies. But, you know, here's the most interesting point that we found with the poll. So we, so we wanted to find out exactly how much attention is the average voter giving uh, to a candidate's position on this issue, on ethanol subsidies. Only one-third of them knew if any of the major presidential candidates supported or opposed uh, the RFS. And then only one-quarter said that they knew which candidate, uh, Mr. Cruz, uh, recently expressed opposition to increasing the mandate. And so they were not they weren't following this. Right, they're simply not following it. Do you think David, do you think that it wouldn't be an issue at all 
uh, that ethanol would be not on anyone's horizon in this election cycle. Had Ted Cruz kind of towed the ethanol line? Well, that's an interesting question, right? I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, when when uh, Cruz, when Senator Cruz opposed the mandate and called for doing away with it, uh, that earned him some headlines, right, including the Irish yeah. governor. Right. But but you know, uh, again, uh, nearly two thirds of, of the of the people that we polled uh, said that the candidate's position on the RSS has little to no impact on their likelihood to vote for that individual. So this is this is more of an issue that's ginned up. It's a mythology that's perpetrated by the corn ethanol industry and the politicians that are, are deeply aligned with, with that group. So what what do you think is going to happen? In Iowa? Yeah, in the elections. What do you what I mean, I know this is out, a little bit outside of your scope cuz politics are not really your thing. You know, I we talked to John Fund earlier and you know, it is his thing, but you know, based on this polling and you know, we had Trump really doing well in Iowa and it's a place I don't mean Trump, excuse me. I meant Ted Cruz. Uh, he was doing really well and it's the place where really he should do better than Trump because of the strong evangelical nature of Iowa. But at the moment, in the polling, Trump seems to be ahead. Right. Uh, but, but not that much, you know. I think yeah. the latest poll has him 33% and Cruz at, what, 27%? So it's, it's going to come down to voter turnout. But certainly, just given, given the fact uh, how much... Uh, how much support Senator Cruz has going into this, I think it's a clear indication that ethanol is not the issue that it's been made out to be by the corn ethanol industry. I mean, if well, I were certainly, to guess, again, it would all, it, it's, it's down to who, you know, who shows up to vote. Right. Well, certainly from my perspective, and I assume from yours, it's my hope that um, – uh, uh, Ted Cruz does better than Donald Trump in in Iowa. Not so much for I'm not endorsing one over the other for president in any way. Um, and I have repeatedly said I would be happy with anyone running for president on the Republican ticket, including Gilmore, rather than Hillary Clinton, because her policies are are going to be very very dangerous on uh, the energy story. But if Cruz can pull out ahead of Trump in Iowa. I believe it sends a real strong signal about the um, failing influence of uh, the ethanol lobby. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. If, if Cruz wins, and, even, and I would even argue that if he comes very, very close to Trump and Trump still pulls it out, I still mm -hmm. think it sends a strong signal. Uh, that the ethanol lobby has lost a lot of influence on this issue. And I yeah, think and I hope it will take notice. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, whoever is president, which I believe will be a Republican, um, whoever it is will look at that and see then that they can be bold and, and end um, 
this ethanol mandate? Because we've seen, you know, we talked so much, I've talked so much in the past year about lifting the oil export ban. And, you know, we got closer and closer and closer, and then, bam, it happened. We've been talking so much about repealing this ethanol mandate, and there seems to be a growing um, agreement, even among uh, very strange bedfellows, such as the, uh, the chicken growers, the restaurant association, and the environmentalists, who, who think this thing should end. Right. Absolutely. I think that it's only a matter of time. It's, it's not a question of, of if, it's, it, it's when. And hopefully yeah, and this, it will end as quickly as possible. Yeah, and your poll and uh, the upcoming Iowa caucuses, I think, will do a lot, a lot for that. Well, let's hope. We can only hope, right? Yep, that's all we can do. <laughs> so tell me, uh, we're almost out of time here, David, but tell, tell our listeners where they can see the poll, you know, the whole poll results for those that are interested. Yes, uh, you can find it on our website at accs.org. ACCF.org, okay? Yes. And uh, we will... Okay, so it's F. I'm sorry, I heard S, and I was trying to figure out. I thought it was American Council for Capital Formation, so it's A-C-C-F as in Frank. Okay, all right, good. David Banks, I appreciate you joining us once again to talk about uh, these important polling results, and uh, we'll be watching to see how things play out in Iowa for those of us who enjoy politics. It's it's a a really fun time. Thanks, Marita. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for your leadership. Thanks much. We've been talking with David Banks, Executive Vice President for the American Council on Capital Formation. And again, you can find their poll results at accf.org. We'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of America's Voice for Energy. We've been having a great discussion today talking about the renewable fuel standard, also known as the ethanol mandate. And as you know from our previous segments, both uh, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump have made this uh, a campaign issue in Iowa with the renewable fuels uh, 
team heavily attacking Ted Cruz for not supporting the renewable fuel standard. In fact, he's, he's wanted to totally repeal it or phase it out, get rid of it in any way possible. But there is some movement in Congress in this direction, and the renewable fuel standard has been uh, declining in popularity in recent years. Uh, I like to think that my work on this topic is, is at least partially responsible for that. I know it's not fully responsible, but I like to think I've had a, a place in this. So I'm delighted to have back with us again today Dan Simmons, who is the Vice President for Policy with the American Energy Alliance to update us on what's going on there in Washington, D.C., and is there any hope that we're going to get this thing uh, repealed or at the very least phased out? So, Dan, thanks for joining us once again. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me back on your, on your show. Uh, is, there, is there any hope? There's always hope. Uh, <laughs> no, hope springs eternal. There is always hope. What's happening is is that this week in the Senate they are starting debate on a on an on an energy bill, and there's you know many components to this bill. One of the things that will be brought up in the amendment process there's rumors that there's like a hundred different amendments they might consider. So you know they'll start this week, but they'll continue maybe. who knows how fast they're going to go, but it could be into the next couple of weeks. But uh, one of there will be some um, amendments on ethanol because it's one of the biggest energy issues there is out there and about ending, you know, mandating that we use certain amounts of ethanol and, and other biofuels. And so one amendment would, uh, from uh, Senators Toomey and Feinstein, is uh, Toomey from, from Pennsylvania and Feinstein from California, it would say no more using corn ethanol, and then another amendment will be just to repeal the RFS altogether. So those those two amendments should be debated in in Washington, uh, you know, maybe starting this week or continuing into next week. Help me understand a little more the Toomey Feinstein. Uh, angle. I had uh, my friend John Fund, who I'm sure you know as well, he was on the show today on our first segment. And when I mentioned that to him, I don't think I brought it up on the air. Uh, I think I talked to him about that, you know, before we went on the air. And he, he was, I said, what is Toomey thinking? And John Fund said, oh, I'm having dinner with him in two weeks. Tell me about this amendment and I'll I'll ask him about it. And so I, I sent um John Fund a copy of the coalition letter that the American Energy Alliance has put together that I signed on behalf of uh CARE Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy and Energy Makes America Great so that he would have a clue. But um you know that's the that coalition letter that I was asked to sign is the only way I even knew about this. So can you explain what on earth is Toomey thinking? First well, first explain what the amendment is, and then, uh, you know, do we have any idea what Toomey's thinking? Sure. Uh, what, what the amendment is is that the way that the renewable fuel standard works is there is certain set-asides, certain mandates for stuff they call adv- advanced biofuel or mm-hmm. cellulosic biofuel as well as biodiesel. And then there's an overall number. Uh, let's say it's this year. Let's say it's uh, 22 billion gallons. It's that number I'm kind of making up. But okay. um, so the amount that could be filled by corn ethanol is about 15 billion gallons, and then the rest is supposed to be made up through this advanced. And what advanced stuff is is it's like 
it's making ethanol from like wood or ethanol from like the fibrous parts of corn. Um, and so it's, it's stuff that really doesn't exist in the marketplace. And when this was passed, people thought, oh, yeah, the technology is, is there. And pretty soon, if we just mandate it, it will come. Well, you know what? It hasn't really come. And it's been even more expensive. So it is it, like the advanced biofuel just has not arrived in the market. And yet it is really what is being, uh, you know, it, it's what is being mandated. And so what, what Toomey, I hope, is thinking I hope that he is thinking that if we get rid of corn, that the RFS as a whole will, will fall apart. And I have friends that believe that. Um, that you know, so it, it's, not, it's not a crazy idea. However, the, the problem is, is that for ethanol, corn ethanol, is now that, now that we have all the, instruction, the infrastructure in place, refiners are going to use a decent amount of corn ethanol regardless of whether there is a mandate or not. Right, and I, ha I had one of my friends who was, I think, on the same show that I had you on last time talking about ethanol, Tim Snyder, who was involved in building some of the very first ethanol plants in the country, um, and he was on the show um, two, a couple segments ago. Anyway, he, he explained why they will still use ethanol or corn ethanol even if the mandate goes away. And, 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 that, and that's really the key, is that some corn ethanol will be used. And what our point is, like, look, get rid of the whole thing. Quit tinkering. Quit thinking that, oh, if we just add, like, you know, if we just shift some commas or some zeros, that, that it's going to make a big difference. The problem is that it's a mandate. And the best way to, get, to, to deal with a mandate is not to change the mandate and mandate other stuff. It's just to, to erase it. And that's, the, that's reality. Um, Make it go away and let the market choose because you know what? There's some ethanol that would exist in the market. There's, other, there's a lot of people out there that don't want gasoline with any ethanol in it whatsoever. So let people, let the consumers decide. If, I wanna, if I'm out there buying gasoline and I'm going to put that gasoline in my car, some ethanol is fine because, you know, my car is five years old and can handle it. If I'm putting gasoline in my lawnmower, I don't want any ethanol whatsoever in that. If I'm putting it in my weed eater, I don't want any ethanol whatsoever. And so that's, that's the challenge. Let the consumer decide instead of Washington, D.C. mandating what they think is a good policy, especially because with the, with, with the case of ethanol, you have, you know, the Iowa caucuses coming up, and because of that, it gives Iowa a whole lot of say, and Iowa thinks that they need the ethanol to continue growing, you know, huge amounts of corn, and I don't think that, that is, that's actually true anymore. Yeah, and polling, uh, I've talked about it in my column this week, and I mentioned it in other segments on the show today. The, the polling out of Iowa indicates that it's not uh, the third rail of politics as it was believed to be. It, it no longer has that much sway in, uh, over Iowa voters. And maybe, it, maybe it never did. It's quite possible that it, that it never did. But I think that Iowans understand, look, we're we're selling a lot of corn. Um, this this definitely helps with some, but you know what? To to be able to grow that much corn, it also requires uh, corn farmers to to use expensive seed, to use a lot of fertilizer. That stuff is expensive, and uh, it's there there are times that it's actually more cost effective not to you know grow corn as intensively as they are. So it's a it's a it's a number of challenges, but just it's it's just a really good example. Just let the market work. Don't try to guess where the market's going to be in ten years, because if we think back ten years about what this whole thing is about and why. 
why a lot of Republicans got on board is because U.S. oil production was declining, our imports were increasing, and that's no longer the case. The, the hydraulic fracturing revolution broke OPEC's back. It caused the Saudis to start pumping oil like crazy to try to, you know, combat the, the refiners, or the, the U.S. producers, and now we have oil that's $30 a gallon. I mean, $30 a barrel. Yes, thank you. It's like less than two dollars a gallon, thirty dollars a barrel. Like this is this is mind blowing, and it's wonderful. And you know what? We don't need to mandate, you know, a biofuel that was that the, when the whole idea in the beginning was because well, we need to to be producing more at home. Well, we are. Yeah, it seemed more good at the time. It's, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and uh, but as you said, it's it's an idea whose time has come and gone. Exactly. And so it, just let it go. Let it go. Um, I think that's a song in Frozen. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's break into that. No, I, not for me anyway. You don't want to hear me break into song. So what do you think is going to happen with this uh, discussion in D.C.? You know, I, it's, uh, I don't think that there are the votes for a full repeal for the bill. I wish, I wish there were. Um, for, the, for the Toomey-Feinstein, it will, be, it will be interesting to see how many, how many votes they get. I, I, I haven't heard any vote counts. But, you know, what's interesting about the Toomey-Feinstein bill and, and what kind of bodes well, even though we don't support the bill, what bodes well um, for those of us that are, that are pushing for repeal is you have Feinstein on the left, you have Toomey on the right, recognize that there are real problems with the RFS. Now, Feinstein wants the world to go to a, a low-carbon fuel standard, which is what she is trying to do, because California has a low-carbon fuel standard, and as a result, California has the most expensive gas prices in the entire country. Yes, Californians should just be furious when they hear on the news, well, gas is $1.50 a gallon nationwide, and... California is still paying. I don't know how much more there. I don't know what their price, their rates are today. It was, was two fifty the last time in the in the last week. So I mean that's ridiculous. When your gas prices are a buck a gallon more than everybody else's, and that's what Feinstein wants. That's what she is trying to push. Right. I, that's why I didn't ask. Yeah. That's why I didn't ask. What's Feinstein thinking? Proposing this this amendment that would get rid of the corn mandate, but keep the. Uh, the advanced biofuel mandate. That's why I didn't ask what what was she thinking because it's obvious what she wants. But I appreciate you mentioning anyway because our listeners may not know. But to me, a Republican going on board with that is just to me shocking. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I I, I can't explain it. Like I said, I hope that his goal is to make the entire RFS go away, and uh, you know by. By amending it the first time, it'll help. It'll help for future amendments, but but who knows? You know the the. Is there a plan to phase it out if you don't think the full repeal is going to pass? Is there a phase out plan? Uh, currently, there, uh, to, to my knowledge, there isn't one on the board. However, you know the the. the uh, it, it is quite possible that uh, at a, that people will come up with that as a as kind of a compromise between the two mm-hmm. Feinstein position and the position of full repeal that they come up with a with a plan because the way it is currently in 2022 the RFS um, phases kind of to a new program and that is that from 2007 to, two, to, to 2022, Congress set the levels for the various biofuels. After 2022, EPA has sole discretion what to do. So that could be a good thing or it can be a horrible thing. 
Um, and so, yeah, it depends uh, on who's president and therefore who's head of the EPA. We've just got a few minutes left, Dan, just so you know. So, yeah, after a few seconds, not a few minutes, a few seconds, sorry. But the, the, what you do is you just phase it out after 2022. That's, that's, that would be an easy phase out. That's, uh, you know, not perfect, but it's much better. So, but the real plan is Congress, stop trying to tell consumers what to do. Quit telling us what products to use. Let us, let us use, um, you know, let us figure out for ourselves what works best. Yeah. I appreciate you giving us insight, Dan, on what's going on there with uh, the renewable fuel standard in Washington, D.C., and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see some movement on this uh, in, in the weeks ahead. So I appreciate you sharing with us. We've been talking with Dan Simmons, who is Vice President of Policy for American Energy Alliance. And I uh, appreciate all of you joining us this week on America's Voice for Energy. Be sure to tune in next week for our next topic. Thanks for listening. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.